have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside DLU. As we look back at K-State's 38-17 victory over the Nevada Wolfpack, K-State using three fourth quarter touchdowns uh, to put some distance between Nevada and uh, K-State. And K-State closes out the non-conference portion of the schedule at a perfect 3-0. They head to Stillwater, Oklahoma to take on Oklahoma State, 6 o'clock on ESPN+. And uh, before I bring Dilo in here, I want to uh, want to mention here a an exciting new partnership uh, with uh, Manhattan Brewing Company as the new title sponsor of the Short Side Option. Uh, now, folks, I want to tell you a little bit about our friends here at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located in the heart of downtown Manhattan at 406 Points Avenue. They have a tremendous selection of beers on tap with over 15 beers, all of which are brewed in-house. There's something that is going to be sure to please any palate. Manhattan Brewing Company provides high-quality craft beer in a family-friendly atmosphere. You can enjoy views of downtown Manhattan as you sip on some of their classics like the Townie, a wheat brew with citra hops, or the Conversation Kolsch, a light in color and body beer with a slight fruity aroma and taste. Whether if you are looking to find a place to watch K-State play or just wanting to get together with your friends to catch up over a few beers, Manhattan Brewing Company is just the spot for you. That's Manhattan Brewing Company at 406, Point, at 406 Points Avenue in Manhattan. Happy to have them aboard here on the short side option. Uh, you know, we uh, we were looking for a couple different folks to, to get involved and, and uh, got involved with Manhattan Brewing Company and, and super excited about it. Yep, great partnership. Uh, you know, two things we love to do, drink beer and watch sports. Absolutely. And, and so can't think Match of a better partner. Yeah. Well, and you know, let's... We, we've uh, mentioned Manhattan Brewing Company, and we're going to continue to have uh, you know them highlighted here uh, throughout future editions of the Short Side Option. Uh, feel free to uh, to you know look for, look at them on Twitter. We'll give you some of that information uh, in terms of their where they're at on Twitter and Facebook, as well as uh, Instagram and their website. We'll we'll get to all that here a little bit uh, later. But terrific to have them on board with us. And uh, Dilo, let's kind of get in here. I want to welcome you in here to the mix. Well, thank great, you. Great to have you. It's great to be here. Haven't seen you in in a few weeks. Yeah, we, we, we had to do last one over Zoom as well. But uh, we're back here in the in the short side option studio here now. Yeah, you know it, it's great to be back, uh, kind of on our home turf. While we're home, K State uh, is is they on the away. road this week. They do, and for believe it or not, for the ninety fifth time in Big Twelve history, K State opens the Big Twelve season on the road. That's Only too, a slightly, slight exaggeration there. Those big wigs down, those fat cats down at the Big 12 office in Dallas owe us an explanation. I think I have seen something that it is, I want to say it's like 20 out of 25. I thought I saw something like that where K-State's opened um, the uh, the Big 12 season on the road, which is kind of, kind of a little bit ironic because the very first Big 12 game was played in Manhattan, Kansas. Against Texas Tech? We're paying for that all these years later. Yeah, you know, yeah, we got, we got the first one, but we don't get any other. We got uh, the sweetheart deal back in '96, but since then they've uh, they've been kind of getting our goat here. Well, you know, in, in speaking of of getting people's goats here, speaking of goats, K State kind of got Nevada's goat there in the fourth quarter, uh, where they they scored 21 unanswered to to really stretch this out and make it a 38-17 win for K State. And you know, in this game. 
you might look at the final score and say, oh, 38-17, K-State wins by three touchdowns. This game, you know, was never really in doubt. But, you know, of course, going in the fourth quarter, a 17-17 game, K-State's offense had kind of gotten stagnant uh, after, you know, having some success in the first uh, first half there. But K-State was able to really, as you mentioned last week, lean on that running game. And I think you definitely saw some of the dividends pay off uh, from that physical ground attack uh, in that fourth quarter as K-State was just being able to move the ball uh, at will on the ground. Five, six, seven yards of carry uh, here and there and then popping another one for 12 or or 13. You could tell that uh, K-State was really... Uh, able to impose their will in the fourth quarter. Well, Nevada just didn't have the horses to keep up with K-State in the ground game. I mean, K-State just imposed their will there in the fourth quarter, which is really what you want to see against a a team like that. You know, Nevada, they're uh, more of a finesse team on offense and on defense. I mean, we pointed it out last week that they are soft in the running game, that they, they shouldn't be able to stand up and hold up against this K-State rushing attack for four quarters, and they didn't. And K-State had a lot of success running the ball, um, which was perfect for the Wildcats, especially last week when we're trying to, you know, uh, get Howard a little more comfortable on the field, make the game simple for him. And that's exactly what Messingham and and company did this week. And uh, I think it was just a recipe for success. K-State was able to you know, have a lot of success on offense, score 38 points without really asking Howard to do all that much. And so credit to Messingham, credit to the offensive line, credit to Deuce and Joe Irvin, uh, and and Will Howard too, because he did it on the ground too. But uh, it was all hands on deck this week to put together a pretty dominant rushing performance for K-State and uh, come away with a uh, pretty convincing win. You know, it was convincing. And, and let's go ahead and just hop into, uh, you know, kind of the ball game here. K-State wastes no time uh, getting on the board here. A second play from scrimmage. Will Howard finds Daniel Amaterbebe for a 68-yard touchdown pass. And, you know, the, the thing about this play is obviously getting getting seven points on the board, you know, in prompt fashion like that's always great. But uh, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, kind of what led to that play. I think it's been kind of documented now, but Will Howard is at the line of scrimmage. He uh, he changes the route, changes the hot route. the hot route. Uh, what was supposed to really originally be an outbreaking route uh, for Imater Bebe. He essentially runs the post uh, out of the slot and or not out of the slot out of the line in uh, tight end, and he is able to uh, outrun everybody into the end zone. What I think you saw there are two things. One. It was a relatively easy read when you kind of look at the film and see kind of where that safety was positioned. It was it was pretty easy to see. He was cheating over a little too far. The outbreaking route was going to be uh, not really fruitful. The inbreaking route was really where was uh, going to have have an opportunity to bust one. So th- he made the good read pre-snap. But then you also saw a little bit from Imater Bebe uh, having some of that athleticism to outrun uh, two uh, Nevada players that were chasing him from behind. Got K-State off and rolling on Saturday. Yeah, great. I mean, great call by Howard. I, I think that's a testament to him becoming a little bit more comfortable in the offense and, and kind of seizing that opportunity to, to become a field general and and really have that freedom to uh, make that call. And so credit to him for recognizing uh, the big chance there. And, and you know, that, you know, on a lot of Howard's throws, especially last year and certainly against Southern Illinois, um, 
there there doesn't really seem to be a lot of zip on a lot of them. But that one he had to Bebe on Saturday was really well thrown. He didn't overthrow it. He just put it right where it needed to be, and yeah, it got right there pretty money. quick. And, so, and it hit him in stride. It wasn't behind him to you know, where he could, he could catch and run. I think that, off the top of my head, I can't imagine... I bet that's the longest pass play he's had. I bet that was longer than the one to Deuce that he had against Texas That one Tech. might have been maybe a touch long. It, it, it's Regardless, yeah. one, uh, one of the longest plays he's, the longest pass plays he's had, um, and certainly in my opinion, just about the most impressive throw yeah, he's I think made. Yeah, he had a good pass to I believe it was Knowles or somebody in the KU game, maybe Taylor in the KU game last year. Uh, that was yeah, Sebastian down down right to and the that, one. That yeah. was a really nice throw too. But it's it was good to see uh, Howard have some success through the air uh, early um, and kind of catch Nevada trying to cheat a little bit in tendencies and uh, get punished for it. Well, I think too what you see from the pre-snap, I think was maybe the most encouraging part of that that play. Uh, getting feeling comfortable enough to. Uh, audibleize at the line of scrimmage, uh, given a hot route there to Matter Bebe, and and we were able to uh, exploit that there for six. So, also a great start. K State's defense came to play, you know, uh, forcing Manhattan or forcing uh, Nevada to punt their first two possessions. Nevada gets on the board, uh, tying it up seven seven, really on a remarkable catch and throw from uh, Carson Strong. To Romeo Dubs down to the down inside uh, the K State two, they were able to punch it in uh, eventually on on a uh, fourth and goal run, but you know K State's defense, I thought played maybe their best game uh, in terms of you know what I thought was maybe the most complete offense that they well I shouldn't say the most complete I should say the most prolific passing offense they've seen yet to date, and uh, really holding Nevada in check in the passing game. When you look here, 300 yards passing, you know that's that that's impressive. But uh, 44 of those came on that trip play. So car- holding Carson Strong 262 yards passing, touchdown and an interception. I think you have to feel pretty good about how K State's defense uh, stopped this high-powered uh, Nevada passing attack. Absolutely, and, and it kind of goes to that complementary defense we talked about last week too. K State's. Uh, Got three sacks on the day as well, and so you know Carson Strong. We talked about it. He's he's not a guy that's going to beat you with his legs. Kind of a stationary target. Yeah. out there. I think we yeah. compared him to Jason White last week. I think you even had a little bit of. A, well, you you said he wasn't like Landry Jones in terms of kind of how he's not going to be, be maybe as easily rattled. But I could see a little bit of that comparison too, just in terms of the physical, yeah. physical stature of the guy. Yeah, uh, a couple of OU uh, references there. exactly, um, but. No, so I think we what we saw Saturday was just another example of this evolution of K-State's defense and the huge steps they've taken since the end of last year when they were really a pretty depleted unit and one that wasn't causing many problems for any offense they faced. Um, and on Saturday, we, we saw it again. They were The secondary was giving Carson Strong a really hard time. And aside from that one pass play to, to Daubs, which you talked about earlier, Really, his passes mostly looked like they were coming underneath. He wasn't really taking mm-hmm. those shots yeah. as often as, as he did against Cal and Idaho State, where you know you think of this Nevada offense as this mad bomber uh, style, where they're throwing vertical, you know, almost once every series. Yeah, 
whereas on Saturday they were he was having to check down and take some more intermediate routes and, and not completing all of those at a super high clip. And so that's a huge credit to K-State's back end and keeping everything in front of them and just shutting down that stretch passing game. Well, and, and on that pass to, to Dubs that, that got Nevada inside the two and setting up their first score of the game, great coverage on it. I mean, yeah. there's just really nothing. Oh, you can pass do interference. That. Well, maybe a little too good of coverage. <laughs> I don't, I don't, it depends on what you ask. But you had two guys back there. Uh, it wasn't just a you know, breaking coverage. Right. It, it was it was well contested and and ultimately just a, a great throw and catch that, that you have to kind of tip your hat to. But uh, K State really did a, did a good job, as you said, limiting those big plays. the The 44 yard pass to Stovall on that trick play. What was another one, but that was more of just uh, and really a product of of getting K State, uh, you know, kind of sleeping on that. But other than that, keeping Nevada pretty well in check uh, in terms of the deep ball really was a big key for K State coming into that game, and uh, a a first big test for the secondary, and they definitely uh, showed well. So let's kind of wrap up here in terms of the first quarter of action. By seeing a quarterback change after first two drives of, of K-State, one, of course, being a touchdown, and then the other one uh, where K-State had to punt the ball after moving the ball a little bit, uh, we see uh, Jaron Lewis get involved here at the quarterback position. You know, not necessarily a shock that uh, both quarterbacks would play. Uh, Kleiman, Messingham had alluded to that uh, both may see some time. But I was a little bit surprised at kind of the cadence that it, that it went in with ultimately the way it shook out. Will Howard gets the first quarter. Jaron Lewis gets the second quarter. And then from there, uh, Will Howard took over for the rest of the way. But uh, what were your thoughts on kind of how that was handled? Um, I, I don't have much of an opinion on it. I, I think that the coaches said that they thought Jaron Lewis had earned – the opportunity, <clears throat> and that, that doesn't bother me very much. I, I think certainly, you know, I think it's one of those types of deals where when is the good time to pull Will Howard? Is it if he goes out there and throws an interception on his first drive, dip, dip the helmet bench, Will Howard? It's Jaron Lewis's, you're yanked. Or is it when Howard has played a fine game so far, and they both knew going into it that Jaron Lewis was going to play this week? So in terms of, you know, the timing of it, I don't have a problem with it. And I really don't have a problem with, fundamentally, Jaron Lewis getting time on Saturday, period. Um, you know, I I think you and I both agree that Howard's main problem is between the ears. I think that he's still a little bit of a deer in the headlights when it comes to being on the field and commanding the offense. And I think a lot of uh, I can understand how he might think, you know, if I suck, the season's over. And so, I, 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 psychologically, I think it's good for him to know that, no, there is a competent backup. Like, if you suck, we're going to take you out. And we're going to be functional. And so, I, I think, you know, paradoxically... Showing Howard that he is replaceable probably takes a little bit of pressure off him. 
I mean, I that's you're shaking. I'm my head. shaking my head. I don't get it at I, all. I, I I can understand that. I because, don't get it. Because, no, I can get it. Well, no, well, go ahead and finish. Well, last year, Thompson went down. Howard scraped by Tech, TCU, and KU, um, and then the offense stopped working, and the defense stopped working, and then we lost five six in a row. Yeah. yeah, and. I th- I can see how in the off season Howard's thinking, pinning a lot of that on himself. Which you know what? Yeah, a lot of it was his fault. He wasn't ready to be a Big Twelve quarterback if he didn't play like. Yeah, that but I don't think that that's. Was. But yeah, fault his fault or not, no fault of his own. I don't. Of, think. of course yeah. not. But yeah. I'm saying that our biggest problem last year was our quarterback position. After I'd argue our defense was was right up there with it. Okay, well maybe towards the end, but yeah, during the five game losing streak, the, de- the defense didn't lose us the Oklahoma State game. Nope, sure didn't. Um, and so, in, in any event, I could see how... Nor the Iowa State game, necessarily. <laughs> well, it didn't help. <laughs> they, they, they weren't exactly caring the, 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 the one of themselves either there. So, gotta, anyway, be fair, gotta be fair. So my point is, is that I can see how that might be a little scarring for somebody who has to live with that, especially somebody as, as green as, as Will Howard is. And so, game two this year, how, uh, Thompson goes down, Howard comes in, has a pitiful performance, and he's thinking, oh... Crap, here we go again. And he's putting all this pressure on himself. I can't screw up. I can't let the team down and torpedo the season like I did last year. All will be lost if I suck. And Kleiman kind of implicitly showing that, hey, by the way, you have a backup. Don't forget that. That we're fairly confident in. And so get your act together. And if you don't have your act together, then you're going to sit. And we'll and the team will be okay because we got Jaron Lewis who we also feel good about. I, I I really don't think Howard is he doesn't strike me as the guy who is this mega ambitious go getter who's dying to be on the field right now at nineteen years old or twenty years old or however old he is. I think he would be just fine sitting on the bench and learning a little bit. And maybe that I I don't know the guy. I've never talked to him. But my impression—we gotta change that. We gotta get you. We gotta get you having, having a nice uh, sit down with Will. And, and I can be totally off base here, but but I can understand how Howard recognizing that he has a competent backup could actually make him a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I I'm gonna be honest with you. I can't get there with you on that line of thinking. Fair enough. But that's if that's if that's where you what you think. I mean, you're certainly entitled to that opinion. I think what it shows more than anything is that. K-State wants to maybe be in a position where, you know, hey, in a game, and now this is where I disagree with bringing him in because I thought Will Howard was playing fine up to this point. But saying, hey, we, we want to continue to cultivate this ability to have um, capable backups, uh, especially at the quarterback position because with Skylar Thompson going down with, with his knee injury, now, granted, the, the good news about that is he's going to be back this season. All, all you know, stories are, are pointing towards. But, you know, with a knee injury that you've already sustained once and with Skylar Thompson's track record of, of injuries, it's not unlikely to say that he'll get injured again this season, possibly. Yeah. So wanting to, you know, build up some depth at the quarterback position, I think is a good practice. But I just don't agree with taking Will Howard out at the start of the second quarter. Because what we've learned to find out is that it's was necessarily a predetermined decision that this is what they were going to do. Yeah. So 
to me, I don't get it. I think it's I think it's fine. I, I think I, it's I don't, actually I, very poorly mismanaged. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it at all. Because it's not like Howard is setting the world on fire. You know, in his life... Okay, well, I'll, I'll say this. The second quarter of the Southern Illinois game, very bad. The next two quarters against Southern Illinois doesn't really have to do much. They've kind of taken the ball out of his hands at this point. Right. And then for his game against uh, Nevada, I thought one of the more complete games he's played. I mean, now I'm not going to necessarily say he, you know, lit the world on fire, but 7 of 10, 123 yards passing, uh, adding another 56 uh, on the ground with two touchdowns. I don't really have it. I think that's pretty darn good. I think, I think he played fine. You, yeah. No, I, I'm not here to. I'm just saying that I'm not in a position where I think, well, we need to. I think it's very I mean, do or die. I think no, it's I very think, I think it's, I think it's odd I think, handling. I think you know. I think they handled it perfect. I think you tell both guys, "Hey, you're both going to play this week." So, will don't be surprised when Jaron comes in because we're telling you he's going to play regardless of how well you do or how poorly you do. So, go out there and do your best, and know that at some point in the game, they probably told him in the second quarter, "We're going to give Lewis a few series, and uh, we'll go about it." Well, if anything. What I will say, and my point is a little bit different than yours. What I do think that there is benefit in this. The one benefit I see is this keeps Will Howard sharp, and because he he didn't play real really particularly well last year, I think that's fair, fair to say. But he was always the guy. Like uh, Nick Ost got to play like I think maybe a series or two against Iowa State when the game was already well out of hand. But Will Howard had. He had free reign last year once once Scholar was out for the season. So giving Jaron Lewis some reps and some time and letting him know that, hey, you actually have to kind of earn this job now. I think it's – the way I'm phrased is a little bit different than the way you're phrased. Fair enough. But I'm saying that Howard looking over his shoulder ain't the worst thing in the world and knowing that, oh, this isn't – But you're saying it as like, oh, things will be fine. You have a capable backup. I'm saying, hey, if you want to continue to play, you need to perform. I think it's both. Okay. <laughs> I can get on more on board with that, but just saying like, oh, it's okay, Well, If you, we have a capable backup, things might not go terribly, you know, if you are to get yanked or... No, or, I think it's both. Okay. I, I, think it, I think it pushes him to recognize, oh, I'm not the only quarterback left on the team. Yeah, okay. Now this I can agree with you on. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. I, and I think that, you know, when it's, all right, true freshman Will Howard, the season is in your hands. I think that's a lot of pressure... And also probably makes him a little too comfortable in that role. And if anything, I, I just prefer that he's not doesn't get over no. I think no. I, I so I think it's both. I think that he knows that there's somebody behind him is is good for a number of reasons. Well, let's go ahead and highlight really the star of the show. Uh, I'm going to give the star of the show to on uh, on Saturday, and that's the K State running game. Um, and I'm getting, and I say I don't just necessarily single out Deuce Vaughn because, you know, I could do that about every week. I feel like uh, 23 carries for 127 yards and a touchdown. You know, you almost just count on 100 yards from Deuce uh, here as of late. But uh, Joe Irvin having his best game at, at, as a K State Wildcat, uh, adding 82 yards and also an, a touchdown uh, on only 11 carries, averaging um, eight yards a carry nearly. I mean that that's one of 
was what you kind of had hoped to see from Joe Irvin. I know K-State fans have been looking forward to kind of getting to see him in some, some more elongated action. Last year, it looked like that might have been the opportunity for him. He opted out. He's back here for K-State here in 2021. You really have to like what you've seen out of him so far. And, uh, you know, Will Howard also, too, adding the quarterback run game there for 56 yards and two touchdowns. The the runners did a good job. I, I mentioned both Deuce, uh, Joe, and, and Will there. But I want to give it up for the offensive line. I mean, these guys were really wearing down uh, the Nevada defensive line and the, and the Nevada defense. It really didn't matter what Nevada was doing defensively, how many guys they were throwing in the box because K-State – uh, were hitting their blocks, their offensive linemen, the tight end, the receivers, and they were creating alleys uh, that that uh, Deuce and, and Joe Irvin uh, had no problem running through. Yeah, I think this is one of the best uh, offensive line performances I can remember uh, in the climbing era so far. Just again against you know we we talked about how the the Nevada run defense. It looked a little dicey there. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Dell, I have to give it to you. you. You absolutely nailed what the game plan was going to look like, and I don't think it necessarily was a, was a, a it was super... Toughest it, nut to crack. It toughest was a bad run defense, yeah. and, a, and we wanted to run this week. But. And you said K-State needs to run the ball 45 times. They run it 48. Yeah. Uh, so, and pass it 13 times, so well, that's, that's the kind of balance you were looking for. Well, and it's a credit to Courtney Messingham, because so often you see... Offensive coordinators try to get too cute and try to be too deceptive when the simple answer, the simple solution is just, no, beat up Nevada. They're not good, and and you're pretty good at running, so just do that. Uh, But the offensive line was just paving on on Saturday. They they were just, especially there in the fourth quarter when Nevada uh, front seven was pretty worn down. I mean, you had offensive linemen getting to the second level in a hurry. And yeah. the Nevada run defense looked like they were stuck in cement. And uh, K-State's offensive line was bullying them around, creating huge holes for uh, Joe and, and Deuce. And so, uh, and, and really in a variety of ways, too, we saw some a lot of option reads, but a lot of that inside zone scheme that uh, they've been wanting to run out of. And so Messingham just uh, did a number of different things with the, with the run game. The offensive line had a field day against that Nevada front seven, and it was just a recipe for success. A couple of different guys got into the mix on the offensive line uh, through uh, some of those rotations that they like to do, kind of cycling guys in and out. Uh, Josh Rivas had, had went out with a um, an apparent ankle injury. He, of course, returned, but um, Hadley Panzer, uh, a guy that uh, was getting his real first action in, in a big-time spot, uh, I thought he performed really well uh, when when called upon. Uh, KT Leviston uh, filling in as well. I really thought that in terms of what you what K State wants to build with what uh, Chris Kleiman, Courtney Messingham, and uh, offensive line coach Connor Riley want to build with this unit, the foundation appears to be in very good shape uh, for an offensive line that uh, is not only playing at a high level now, but maybe their best football uh, may be still to come later this season as they continue to to gel and mature, but also uh, down the road here for K-State. Absolutely, and it's 
you know, with this rushing offense, it, it takes a village because it's not just the five offensive you know, linemen. It's, yeah. It's the, you know, you got guys like Leonard's getting in there. Yeah. Ben, Thought- Sino, Sinot, Sinot, Sino. Ben. Yeah, yeah, Ben. Good old Ben. Yeah, Ben. He, Lead he, the way. he got in uh, probably the most action he's seen in his short career so far. Uh, and then, of course, Jack's in there just terrorizing poor linebackers, not seeing him coming. And so, you know, it's a, you know, you think of a run first offense, you think smash mouth, dumb, beat em up football. But it's, it's a, it's more complex than it than it appears, and if if you go back and watch some of the polling and and all the reads and actually assignments that, especially some of these ancillary players have, uh, it's a joy to to figure out uh, and watch the complexity of it. Well, I think too with what you've seen from what Chris Kleiman and Courtney Messingham did at North Dakota State before, this is really kind of seeming to me anyway being the best fit for not only the offensive line that they want to have, but also in terms of, like you said, those ancillary parts. Uh, having guys that they can kind of motion in and out of the backfield, whether if it is uh, Jacks uh, leading the way uh, blocking or uh, having you know two or three tight ends in the game. Uh, Sammy Wheeler involved in the run game and passing game as well as the tight end. Uh, Linners, uh, Imater Bebe, just guys that are versatile that can really provide uh, you know options for you in the run game. I think this is, and also too with the running backs that K-State has, you know, Jacardia Wright didn't get any action really uh, in terms of carrying the ball on Saturday. You expect to see him get maybe more heavily involved uh, here to come. But having these different options in the run game gives uh, a lot of toys in the box, so to speak, uh, for Courtney Messingham and this offensive staff. So we'll be interested to see because ultimately K-State is going to have to get better throwing the ball here in, in Big 12 play, you would assume. But the basis of this team is the, is the ground game, is being physical up front with this offensive line. And uh, as this offensive line continues to get a lot better and, and continuing to gel, uh, really the sky's the limit, I think, for this offensive line and, and the, in this case, a running game. Yeah, and, and one point, one final point for me on the running game, uh, talk about Sammy Wheeler. How about him lining up at fullback this year? Yeah, week? And that's what I'm saying. It's just being able to, because you can sneak him out on a linebacker, um, you know, on a wheel route or yeah. you know, out in the flat. There's a lot of I feel better options. about running him on a wheel route than I do like Jacks, even yeah. though they've done it before. But And I'm a big Sammy Wheeler fan. You know. I, hey, I, I, you I, were, I've, I've been, been on him for the, the last two for, or three years. Yeah, you know I have been. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's um, let's kind of get back to the ball game here in terms of kind of the chronological order here of, of events. K-State goes into halftime. Uh, they, they pick off Carson Strong. And uh, that sets up a field goal opportunity for K-State, which they knock in. They go ahead into halftime 17-7. And K-State, you're, you're feeling pretty good about this. You, you've made Nevada pretty uncomfortable on offense. And really more than just uncomfortable, you've made them completely one-dimensional. Uh, we, we thought that Nevada would have some problems running the ball. I don't think that was necessarily a surprise. But you essentially took that away and made them completely one-dimensional in this ball game. Now, with that being said, the third quarter is a little bit different story. Nevada scores 10 in the third. Uh, K-State goes scoreless, and we got a 17-17 ball game going here into the fourth quarter. 
you know, the thing is here with K-State, when you I, when I look at the third quarter, this isn't necessarily, uh, unfortunately, an uncommon occurrence where K-State struggles here in third quarters. I think I saw the stats, and, I, and of course I don't remember the numbers, but it, it's a pretty wide disparity in terms of scoring margin in that third quarter uh, for K-State under Chris Kleiman. It's certainly concerning, but, you know, and th- today, on Saturday against Nevada, it didn't seem it didn't end up uh, costing K State. But what do you kind of attribute, if anything in particular, to, to some of K State's third quarter struggles? Well, a couple things. Uh, first, um, you know the people bang the drum on the third quarter, but it wasn't. I don't think it was really that bad. I mean, K State really only had. They had one, one possession. Drive. They had one possession. Nevada held the ball for pretty much the entire entire quarter. Right, and so you know, I thought the Messingham has this tendency to, uh, especially with Howard uh, on third downs. He, I don't know whether it was the Stanford uh, draw play or what on that third and long, where it was the draw play to Deuce that went for a touchdown there. Mm-hmm. But he's gone back to that well a lot since Howard's been. Uh, taking over. Well, the QB draw was also a particularly fruitful play for K-State uh, in, in past years, too, on third and long. Yeah, but that that first three and out, uh, that the three and out in the third quarter, um, where K-State had it third and 11 on its own 24 after Howard uh, ran for one yard on first down, incomplete pass to Linners on second down, which was kind of that miscommunication, missed throw downfield. Whoever's fault it was, he was open. And then you're looking at a third and eleven, and Howard. It it's a draw QB power, whatever it was, and that was the really the only time I ever kind of groaned. It come on, Courtney. Like let's actually try to get the first down. You have three downs. Let's not just throw one away on third sure. down on a third and eleven. Um, but uh, anyway, you know the third quarter stuff. It, it, it has become a trend. I don't know. I don't know why. It's tough to really say, for you sure. Know, it's but. so easy for fans to say, oh, you got to adjust in halftime. What are you doing? They're adjusting. We're not adjusting. But I but I think you see the adjustment take place with, with what you see in the fourth quarter. But, I mean, also, too, you know, I I don't know what they talk about at halftime. I, I doubt they just say, all right, boys, great first half. Just do the same thing. We're not seeing anything different. We're going to stick with the game plan. Um, I mean, in the they're certainly making adjustments. I don't think that it's a it's a lack of K- want to or effort. K State punted twice in the first quarter. They punted once in the third quarter. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I think if anything, you could really the unit I thought was that let down the most in the third quarter was the defense, um, just because of those long drives. And even then, it's like I don't know. Carson Strong's pretty good. Yeah, like, they're gonna they're gonna score some points. They are. Um, you were gonna hold them down all day. Yeah, and so I, you know, people. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I recognize that we have come out flat in the third quarter a bunch, but I, who knows why? I I, I think that's a trend that fans recognize a lot, but I think there's a, a better than zero chance. It's just dumb coincidence. Of, yeah. Like, Sometimes that's maybe yeah. the best. The, maybe the best answer. Yeah. Um. Wanted to highlight something. So K State, as we mentioned, they put on that first on that first drive of the, of the third quarter. And Nevada really controlled the third quarter, having the ball uh, for scoring drives of, of four minutes and over five minutes as well. So really controlling the clock there in the third quarter. But K-State gets the ball back uh, towards the end of the third quarter. 
uh, with the game now tied 17-17. And at this point, you're starting to kind of wonder, like, hey, does K-State have enough offense to get this thing done? Or, or what's gonna what's really going to transpire here over the next 20 minutes of the ball game? And really, I want to highlight, I think, the play of the game, uh, in my eyes, is uh, a second and 10 play where... K-State is trying to answer uh, Nevada's most recent scoring uh, touchdown drive where you get um, you get Will Howard dropping back. He finds Deuce Vaughn out uh, on the K-State sideline, and Deuce is able to make two guys miss what looks like it's going to either be maybe a loss of yards or maybe just a short gain to set up a crucial third down. He's able to, to jet free and pick up 18, uh, 18, 20 yards on that play to get K-State moving again. I thought that was the biggest play of the game because K-State at that point, it, w- it was looking a little bit uneasy from the offense, uh, but like he so often does, Deuce Vaughn uh, makes a play in the, in the open field and uh, sets K-State up for a touchdown drive. Yeah, and I think that was a huge play and a remarkably poor tackling by Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That two guys had him dead two, guy, two guys had and I mean, they had the sideline to – to leverage him too, and uh, they, they both just kind of bumped down. into him and didn't even yeah. try wrapping him up. But so, really, I, I think that's one that that Norvell's going to have a field day with in a film session this week. But uh, no, it was a huge play, and and that's just kind of the stuff we've become accustomed to is Deuce Vaughn making defenses look bad. Uh, and so great, great after the run catch, good job by Howard to get the ball there to him. And uh, that really, I agree. I and after the lethargic uh, first three and out there in the third quarter, that uh, that certainly was a nice bit of juice there to uh, get the offense back on track. Now we're gonna kind of switch our our conversation now to the defense here a little bit. But the defense made really two big time plays here uh, to close out the game. The biggest uh, is on on Nevada's next drive. Nevada's marching the ball down, and they're inside K-State territory, kind of in that in-between range here, where uh, they're at the K-State 41, and it's fourth and four. K-State's able to get off the field, pressured by Nate Matlack, uh, you know, catching up from Carson Strong from behind, the rest of the defense rallying uh, to stop him short uh, of the line to gain. Gives K-State the ball there. Uh, with a touchdown lead, how big was that play in terms of getting K-State really firmly back in the driver's seat with Big Mo on their side? I mean, it was huge. You know, at that point, the game was still super tight. We're sitting here, fourth quarters, you know, we're at 12, 13 minutes left in the game, and Nevada's driving to tie, and they've they've gotten a few first downs on that drive at this point. A couple, uh, well, one third down conversion. Um, and it's fourth down and, like you said, in between range. And so that was a huge play. And K-State gets the ball back and a, and a chance to go up by two scores to salt the game away. And that was certainly a big moment in the game and a chance for K-State fans to fist pump about really seizing control of it. Yeah, and K-State does exactly that. 11-play, 62-yard drive, taking up over six minutes of the clock. K-State's able to, to hit pay dirt. And, uh, and go ahead 31-17. And on this drive, you know, it's it's a uh, Will Howard run that caps it off. But really a nice job here. You know, the offensive line starting to really start leaning on this Nevada defense. 
And uh, K-State, I thought, did a good job, too, not only just relying solely on the run game, but also pitching the ball out, uh, you know, using kind of the wide receiver bubble screen game as an extension of that running game, getting the ball out to Phillip Brooks, uh, getting the ball out to other wide receivers, and, and, you know, even doing some of the jet sweep action uh, on that drive. To keep this Nevada defense, you know, on their toes a little bit, not being able to commit too many guys, you know, to to the heart of the box, right? You know, uh, up up against the uh, the line of scrimmage. But K State was showing a little bit of imagination in terms of of how they want to, I guess, kind of play off that running game with either quick passes to the outside or kind of that jet sweep stuff. And uh, K State goes ahead, takes a two touchdown lead, and at that point, you start feeling pretty good about things. Uh, Nevada turns the ball over again on downs, uh, going uh, pretty much. Or they they went three and out on that on that next possession. Uh, actually, I should say four and out on that next possession. In case State's able to add on another touchdown to make it a 38-17 game, which is your final score. So, wanted to let's let's talk a little bit about the defense. You know, in terms of a guy that I think right now, if you had to give an MVP. To the defense this season, I think you could split between two guys, really only two guys. Uh, Yeah, at least least in my eyes. I totally agree, and I I think I know which two you're going to say. I'm going to say Daniel Green and Mr. Enaduke Uzama. Yep, Yep. exactly right. And and I'm ready, you know, I don't, I'm really worried about speaking too soon here, but we thought the linebacker position was going to be a total liability for us this year uh, just because Green didn't really play that great last year. And, and Fletcher, I thought, uh, was marginally more solid than Green last year, but I didn't think he was lighting up anybody or, or you know, presenting very many problems for offense coordinators. But the linebackers so far have just been nails, and especially Daniel Green, who looks like he may be an all-conference Yeah, I was going to say, I I think with if you took a – if you did an all-Big 12 team through the first three games for all these teams as they, they've kind of gotten out of, out of non-conference play, I think you'd have to put Daniel Green as an all-conference linebacker. He's been tremendous. Uh, nine tackles, uh, including a sack on Saturday uh, for Daniel Green. You know, he was a, a much ballyhooed recruit coming into K-State, a four-star uh, coming in from the state of Oregon. And he has really – you be. I don't think the question with Daniel Green – was ever necessarily the talent or, or you know, what he had from a skill standpoint. It was just maybe being able to put it all together, and, and certainly he has uh, here in 2021 so far. Absolutely. And, you know, he has now 22 tackles on the year. Like you said, nine on Saturday. He had nine against Stanford. I mean, this is I – mean, he's a tackling machine so far this year. Yeah. Uh, that's Those are Josh Buell-esque numbers from uh, Daniel Green. Uh, and so – just flying all over the field. And remember, it's a 22 tackles through really just two and a half games. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about uh, Stanford got their touchdown with Green not the in field. the game. Yep. Southern Illinois uh, got all, all of their scoring without yep. Daniel Green in the game. And he has just so much range, and he's becoming a sure enough tackler uh, that he – it's really presenting some problems for the teams K-State's faced so far. Trying to find that spot in the middle of the field where K-State's defense was exploited in the last half of last year. And so the the step that Daniel Green took in the offseason so far looks to be enormous and is that missing piece that we talked about in the offseason where K-State's front four, front three, defensive line looked good. Uh, the secondary 
feeling pretty confident about. But the, the real question mark was linebackers and whether or not Cody Fletcher and Daniel Green could take that next step to really put that final piece of the K-State defensive puzzle together. And so far, that answer is resounding yes, because those guys, uh, both, and especially Daniel Green, uh, look really, really good. They, they certainly do. And, you know, a couple guys that I thought also played well um, on Saturday, T. Denson getting his first interception uh, for K-State. Uh, 26-yard run back on that as well, showing what he can kind of do in some open field. Uh, you know, I really have to think that the secondary, you know, we mentioned this going into the game. This is their biggest test to date uh, going up against what many believe to possibly be the number one pick in, in this uh, upcoming NFL draft with Carson Strong. And I thought the K-State defense, uh, especially the secondary, really, you know, uh, acquitted themselves quite well. Absolutely. And, you know, you look around the rest of the schedule and, there's really only one offense, I think, that, that rivals the Nevada passing attack, yeah. and and that would be Oklahoma, of course. Yeah. And that's assuming that Spencer Rattler gets his act together. But, Which, you know, if you talk to Sooners fans, they're about ready to see – they've about seen enough of him. Well, I mean, to, right now it certainly looks like uh, that Nevada attack is going to be the, the toughest p- test through the air. Uh, but we'll see. I, I bet for some reason I feel like Lincoln Riley's going to get that. They seem to usually figure something out. Yeah. But uh, so far, they've passed every test they've faced with resounding colors. And we'll have a little bit of a different wrinkle this Saturday that we'll talk about. But uh, very impressive performance by them on Saturday, uh, you know, keeping the uh, very talented Carson Strong at bay. Well, you mentioned uh, next Saturday, K-State goes to Stillwater to kick off conference play against Oklahoma State. Before we get to that game, uh, Dilo, anything else you wanted to uh, to say here as we wrap up uh, the Nevada game? No, just a really solid win against uh, what I think is a pretty decent opponent. I'll be interested to see what Nevada does and what appears to be a pretty darn good Mountain West Conference this year. Yeah, you know Boise State they they could easily be undefeated. Uh, we'll we'll obviously talk maybe a little bit about Boise State as they dropped a tight one to uh, Oklahoma State just last Saturday. But that Mountain West Conference is going to be is going to have some really good football, uh, you know, throughout the season. Should be interesting to keep an eye on that. So, uh, well, before we get into Oklahoma State, Dilo, nothing else you want to add? Nope. Okay. Well, before we get into the uh, the Oklahoma State preview portion here of the podcast, I want to highlight our friends again over at Manhattan Brewing Company. Uh, you know, we, we talked about them here a little bit earlier, but in addition to the great beer and atmosphere that they have over at Manhattan Brewing Company, they are also hosting all sorts of different events throughout the week. Uh, just earlier this week, they were hosting a Super Smash Brothers tournament. I mean, how cool is that, Drew? I know you 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 love that game. Oh, I, I love that game, man. It, well, and they, they have all, all sorts of fun events, and, and you know, you can follow them on Instagram at Manhattan Brewing and uh, on Twitter at Manhattan Brew. Uh, so that you can stay up to date on all of their upcoming events and parties that they're having over there at Manhattan Brewing Company. Um, also, be sure to check out their website at www.mhkbeer.com. There you can keep up with all of the events that they have going on. You can also purchase items through their shop, such as uh, their merchandise of t-shirts and uh, hats, as well as tickets to upcoming events like Yoga at the Brewery on September 25th, uh, also on October 23rd. And then on, um, on October 24th, they have the event Pumpkins and Pints. Uh, have some beer, uh, carve and paint some pumpkins, all sorts of activities going on over there at Manhattan Brewing Company. Uh, be sure to visit their website for, for more information 
on all of these exciting upcoming events. So something to keep an eye on here if you're you're finding yourself in Manhattan, uh, wanting to either go watch the game. I know they always have watch parties and, and have uh, folks uh, bounce around out there. So definitely be sure to give them a look. So Dilo, let's go ahead and hop into it here. This is a big one here for both teams. K-State and Oklahoma State both coming to this game 3-0. and And, you know, I don't know if there is such thing in in maybe coaches' mindsets of of two different kinds of 3-0, but you have to kind of feel that Oklahoma State maybe feels a little bit lucky to be 3-0 right now, having not played anywhere near uh, the kind of football that they feel like they can be playing, uh, kind of escaping with close games in all three of their games, Missouri State, Tulsa, and Boise State. uh, A one-point win over Boise State just last Saturday uh, in Boise, Idaho. But... K-State is coming in here feeling pretty comfortable playing some of their better football. Now, granted, without your starting quarterback, going on the road is always a tough, um, is always a tough task to, to go up against. And with this game, too, this is going to be Will Howard's, not necessarily his first road start, but a, a first road start in a really hostile environment right. with last year not having uh, near the amount of fans in the stands. Um, but this is a matchup that really when you look at two teams that probably feel like, hey, you know, the Big 12 looks pretty wide open this year. Why, why can't it be us that uh, you know finds ourselves competing for a trip to Arlington for the Big 12 championship game? Uh, both these teams have those aspirations, and a win here for either team uh, would certainly go a long way towards that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you mentioned Oklahoma State. Really some odd games. I mean, barely beat Tulsa. Had a kind you of know, a dogfight with Missouri State. Yeah, too. and in that Tulsa game, I mean, Tulsa had a lead late in the fourth quarter. And Oklahoma State, I let me just I'm gonna verify this here because I don't want to give out false information. But yeah, so yep, that's exactly right. Tulsa just takes a 17-14 lead with 10 minutes left in the game. Oklahoma State returns a, a punt or returns a kickoff for the ensuing kickoff for a touchdown uh, to give the Cowboys a lead, which they would not relinquish in that game. But a Tulsa of, fresh off a loss to UC Davis in that game. Yeah, and, and Tulsa had a nice season last year and is traditionally a pretty pretty strong program, and they, they, they usually do a pretty good job. But that game kind of caught my eye because, you, you know, with K-State in, in previous years, you know, maybe a stinker against uh, an FCS team in the first game is something that maybe you can kind of live with or, or you maybe come to expect a little bit. But they've really struggled here um, – Kind of throughout the throughout the early part of their schedule, they did get a nice win over Boise State, twenty one twenty. But we'll, uh, what do you see kind of from the uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys so far this season? Well, it's it doesn't look like a Mike Gundy team at all. I'll tell you that. And then part of that's because they've had some weird personnel issues. I mean, they were missing almost all their wide receivers against Boise last week. Uh, they had, I think, same story with Tulsa. And then Spencer Sanders out, of course, against Missouri State. Um, but boy, I, they, it, it just looks like a Bill Snyder team when you watch them on offense. I mean, it's pound the ball, a lot of quarterback running game and very few, very few of the types of plays you, you become accustomed to seeing from Oklahoma state. This is not the high flying circus that Mike Gundy's offenses usually seem to be. This is really more of a, let's run the ball 30 times. I mean, let me pull up the Boise state numbers, but Oklahoma State rushed the ball. We thought we rushed a lot on Saturday against Nevada. 
What was that number? 47 times? Oklahoma State ran the ball 57 times against Boise. Wow. So, Pat... <clears throat> Passing the ball only 13 times. And you know what? Spencer Sanders had 15 of those runs. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Warren, 32 runs. Uh, And so that that seems to be the guy that uh, is going to get the bulk of of the carries for the Cowboys this season. The the senior, the 5'8", 215-pound running back from Salt Lake City, Jalen Warren. Uh, I would expect to hear his name called quite a bit on Saturday because he had a lot of success against Boise. So uh, Jalen Warren, a transfer from Utah State, uh, is a guy that really was not on my radar before the season. Last year, uh, Chuba Hubbard was kind of the the focal point uh, of what you thought this Oklahoma State team would do offensively, uh, at least running the ball-wise last year. And really, L.D. Brown had um, really kind of supplanted him as their their go-to running back last year. And quite frankly, this season, he has not got off to a very good start. Uh, 28 carries for only 58 yards, barely averaging two yards a carry. Now, still a plenty talented running back, but Oklahoma State uh, has kind of that same one-two punch, or at least what they'd like to, uh, with with what K-State kind of has with Joe Irvin and uh, Deuce Vaughn. But, you know, L.D. Brown hasn't quite shown up the, the same way that he did last year. And uh, if Oklahoma State's going to uh, have much of a season uh, this year and also have some success on case, against K-State on Saturday, you have to figure that they get both those guys running uh, in addition to Spencer Sanders. Yeah, I mean, th- this game, just coming into it, it seems a bit like a mirror match to me. Yeah, in that yeah. These are two pretty stout defenses and two offenses that are really hamstrung right now trying to throw the ball due to injuries. Oklahoma State, of course, at the wideout position, and K-State, of course, with the quarterback position. But, uh, you know, these are teams that are going to lean on their feature running back a lot. They're going to ask their quarterback to run the ball quite a bit and not really pressure the secondaries too much. And on the other side, on the defenses, it's two defenses that are, I think, going to be top three or four defenses in the conference. Yeah. And so I, it's a pretty intriguing matchup, and I think it's just going to come down to which rushing attack is better and or which offense can you know, be a little bit more dynamic and uh, which defense is better because I think that both defenses face very similar uh, tasks this week. You know, and I was going to say, I think what you mentioned about it being uh, kind of mirror images of each other so far this season, kind of what these teams look like, I was going to say, you know, I think if you give a breakdown of, what K-State wants to do when Oklahoma State has the ball on offense and what uh, Oklahoma State wants to do when K-State has the ball on offense, you're going to be getting the same answer. Uh, you're going to try to stop that running game and make the quarterback beat you. And Spencer Sanders has shown that ability uh, to to hurt you with, with, with some interceptions. Um, he's really more of a runner at this point now. I mean, I think I looked at uh, during that game against Boise State, I believe at halftime he had, might have had like seven yards passing. Yeah. So they're going to rely on that running game uh, as both teams are. So in terms of kind of the styles, uh, you know, the old boxing analogy, styles make fights. Uh, with K-State and, uh, and Oklahoma State on Saturday, you're going to be getting two uh, – you know, big guys that are wanting to, to, to attack the body and hit you with body blows throughout the game. And really, the, the whole the whole adage of, of, of styles make fights, I think you see you see that here with uh, Oklahoma State and K-State on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a, a really great point. And I'll uh, be interested to see what uh, K-State's defense, you know, K-State has this, the K-State defense this year 
it's kind of shape shifts. Um, we saw on Saturday a lot of the three-man front. Um, you didn't see much Joe Hennington on Saturday. Um, instead, you saw the guys like Wayne Jones and, and really the, the safety. I, I forget who else it was. Uh, TJ Smith, of yep. course. Um, kind of playing that 11th man that rotates out depending on what the offense looks like. Uh, on Saturday, I think you're going to see a lot of Joe Hennington. Where Ryan, the yeah Ryan Hennington. Unless Joe's filling in for is that his brother filling in for him? Yeah, that's that's his brother Ryan Hennington, of course. Ryan Hennington. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of him, a lot like we saw in the Stanford game, where K State's going to show more uh, more respect to the running game than than the passing game that we saw against with Carson Strong, um, and that's just a credit to I mean I cannot give enough credit to Klanderman and Kleinman for totally morphing this defense. Yeah, I'll leave my crow on on what I said about the linebackers to this point, too, like what you had said earlier. Maybe a little bit too early to do that, but I'm going to give them credit through the first three games. This but the, defense looks... The scheme is they've, they've just totally transformed. Yeah, totally rehauled. And, you know, being able to <coughs> kind of have this dual defensive scheme where it's... Where this week we're facing a... Challenging run game, so Joe Hennington, get in there. Brian also get in there. Yeah, Brian, you too. But and then just bringing Hennington down to a linebacker, which I think suits him a lot better. Yeah. Um, and anyway, in any event, I think that's the defensive uh, scheme that Oklahoma State's going to have to try to run against. And you know what? It, it feels like this year K State's pass defense has, has really been the story because. You know, we respected Southern Illinois' pass game a little bit more. We we respected, um, certainly respected Nevada's passing game a lot more. But and sure. who knows what to make the Stanford offense at this point? Because they've had some, they've had three really strange games. Um, yeah, they they looked horrible against K State. They looked pretty darn good against USC, and then they played Vanderbilt, um, which you can't really tell anything. It's an SEC team there, D'Lo. Yeah, but uh, Mr. Icon, did you know? The K-State rush defense is the second in the country right now in terms of yards per attempt. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Well, with Stanford, they had very little success uh, running the ball against this K-State defense. Southern Illinois, you didn't think that they were going to really try to do much, but they, they ran for 100 yards against K-State on, on what, about 40-some carries. So not really a, a very strong showing there. And then with um, – with Nevada, K-State had them bottled up, too. And, you know, I believe in that uh, game against K-State, Nevada was running the ball at about, oh, maybe not even a yard, only over a yard a carry. I'm, I've got it in front of me now, 25 yards on 23 carries. So this defense has really shown up very well against the run all season. Southern Statistically, Southern Illinois gave K-State the best test on the ground. They, yeah. And they ran the ball 40 times for 100 yards. And that that just goes to show you that this, you know, it, it seems like a lot of the attention has been devoted to, boy, this rehauled secondary. These these transfers have come in and, and really done a great job in the past, and they have. But good grief, K State's run defense is is giving up um, one point four yards per carry right now, and so and facing at least one offense that Stanford. I mean, they ran up, I think, over seven yards a carry versus Vanderbilt. And up over four yards per carry against USC, which is okay. But K-State shut him down, held him to under two yards per carry that game. And so, 
you know, it, it's very similar to last week where, uh, you know, there'd been a lot of hype on the K-State pass defense. And it was, I was like, okay, let's put it to the test. Let's see what K-State's passing defense can do against uh, a, a really good passing attack with Carson Strong and, and all those receivers. And K-State's secondary, uh, the entire defense rose up to the test and defended the pass pretty darn well on Saturday. And now we're coming up against uh, a, an offense that's going to really try to run the ball with Spencer Sanders. And uh, what what's that uh, new running back they have? What's his name again? Uh, Jalen Warren. Yeah, Jalen Warren. Not L.D. Brown. Not L.D. Brown. Well, maybe L.D. Brown's son. But an offense that's really going to try to pound the ball on, on Saturday in, in a few different ways, whether it's Sanders on the outside or, or the running backs more in the middle. Um, and I'm excited to see what the defense can do against that because so far I haven't really seen – I don't know what the weak spot uh, in our defense is right now. And and this is just another chance for them to go out there and prove that they're the best defense in the conference. And at this point, I have no reason to dispute it. I, I think that's very well said. Dilu, one thing I think that before we give our predictions here on this game that I want to touch on, and it's the K-State offense. I think K-State has probably, uh, well, I don't think probably. I think they definitely do have, when you look at the two quarterbacks between Will Howard and uh, and uh, Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State, I mean, and we mentioned um, Will Howard, Jaron Lewis, apparently going to get some action again this week as well, but with with what you see there, you have to give the, exp- the experience edge, uh, of course, to, uh, to Spencer Sanders, with it being Will Howard's first road game. In terms of really going into a hostile environment, you know, full of full of fans there, what do you think K State's game plan needs to be in order to have a little bit more success throwing the ball? Because I imagine they're going to need to have some more success through the air in this game against Oklahoma State. What is your, you know, analysis on what K State should do offensively? Uh, to open up that passing game a little bit here as Big 12 play gets started. I, I want to see more play action. Uh, we haven't really had a ton of success running play actions this year, and I don't know whether that's because there's some kind of tell uh, that, that defenses are keying on, that, that they're not buying into the play actions as well. And, and I think in order for this offense to have success long-term, especially with Will Howard, it's he's going to need – if we're running the ball 45 times a game, and we'll probably do that this way. I mean, we're going to probably try to run the ball and not... I, I would be surprised if we come out and let Howard sling it on Saturday, throwing the ball 25, 30 times. So I, I think we're going to run the ball at least 35 times, probably up over 40 and maybe even 45. Um, but if that's what we're going to do, then we have to be hitting play action. Um, because otherwise, you're leaving really plays that should work out on the field and, and just not utilizing them enough. Um, and so I, I think that is something that would help a lot. Uh, I also want to see us, and this is a kind of complaint, but I think three of our probably top five or six offensive weapons are running backs. And I, I'm including Jacardi Wright in there. Yep. And so I think there's, we got to figure out a way to get Deuce Vaughn involved uh, in the offense without him necessarily being in the backfield. And, and if you we want to utilize the diamond formation and get a little more creative out of that, we, we certainly can. But I'd like to see him lining up in the slot and maybe even taking some of the snaps that have gone to Phillip Brooks 
and and really utilizing Deuce in the key role of that um, that jet action guy, mm-hmm. and then lining up Urban or Jacardi right in the backfield to just give uh, the defenses. You know, whenever Deuce is on the field, he's commanding the attention of a lot of the defense, and so if you can put him somewhere else besides the backfield, that just creates another really complicated weapon for the defense to focus on without even having him lined up in the backfield. And so, and, he, and he's shown to be pretty f- proficient operating out of that slot position anyway with those arrow routes. But I, So I think lining him up at wide receiver would help a little bit, especially because Howard's pretty comfortable throwing yeah. to him. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I really I, do. And, yeah, and so I, I think that Deuce needs to be on the field as much as he can. And I think there's ways to get him on the field and, and have him as part of the offense without requiring him to run the ball 25 or, or 30 times or, yeah. or whatever. And so um, I think just getting a little bit more creative in terms of some of the personnel on the field with with who's lining up where and also um, really trying to figure out a way to execute the play actions better uh, will we'll give Howard a better shot at completing some of those bigger chunk plays uh, in the few passes uh, that we actually ask him to make. You know, that that really lines up kind of with what I'm thinking, what I'd like to see out of K-State uh, in terms of the passing game, is utilizing Deuce Vaughn the slot, as well as on first, you know, first down and 10, and then second down and three or four, when K-State finds themselves in those situations, uh, to let Will Howard throw the ball on play action, or and kind of give him the ability to... Uh, you know, maybe catch the defense in, in a more advantageous spot than rather obvious passing situations, such as, you know, second and 12 or third and eight, third and nine, where, you know, that's going to be obvious that he, that is going to be throwing the ball. But to, to show some balance, get, whether if it's just quick passes out to, out to, uh, out to the wide side of the field, uh, letting Deuce Vaughn catch the ball out there, Phillip Brooks catch the ball out there, Malik Knowles catching the ball out there, a uh, couple different options there. I'd like to see K-State be a little bit more imaginative uh, on first uh, first and 10 and second and short whenever those situations are available because I think that is really what is going to help open up that passing game uh, is kind of by bucking some trends a little bit. But also, too, K-State knows who they are. They are a running first team, and they play well when they are ahead of the chains. And throwing the ball on first down and 10 and throwing an incomplete pass and being second and 10, that starts making this a little bit more tough. And being ahead of the chains is something that, it's a football term that you hear all the time on, on either the broadcast or listening to coaches uh, give, their, give their thoughts. Super important. Uh, K-State wants to be able to do that, but I think they can have some opportunities uh, by catching Oklahoma State uh, off guard on first and second down. Thank you, Stan. You're welcome. He makes his triumphant return. Um, so you just want to go into uh, how we think the game's going to go on let's Saturday? Give a pr- let's give a pick, my man. Uh, I'm thinking low, baby. I'm thinking low-scoring game in this First one. 20? Yeah. Yeah. And I think K-State's going to be the first 20. I, I think uh, K-State's got the better defense. I think K-State um, has the best player on the field with Deuce Vaughn. And... I, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough test for Howard. Like you said, this is his first uh, his first real road game. 
uh, first game in a in a truly hostile environment, and it's going to be a pretty big spotlight on him. But I don't think he needs to get very many points, and I think that uh, <coughs> I'm not sure where Oklahoma State gets points this weekend because I mean you this look- is an offense. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. An offense that scored 23 against Missouri State, 28 against Tulsa, and 21 against Boise. And this is we're the best defense they'll have faced all year by quite a bit. And you know, I, I I'm still not sure about the state of their wide receiving core, whether they're getting some, some new faces yeah. back this week or not. Um, but but that regardless, I think K State's defense is the real deal, and I don't think Oklahoma State gets to 17 points. I mean. When when that opening line came open at nine points, I said, "I'm not sure Oklahoma State's scoring nine points in the game." Um, I, I I bet they do, but it's not a given. Uh, Stanford didn't, um, and so I, I think K State wins this one, twenty-one to fourteen. A low-scoring game, not too dissimilar from what we saw against uh, between Oklahoma State and Boise, but I think uh, K State's defense proves to be a little more stout probably creates a little more havoc, a little more pressure on Spencer Sanders and leads to a, maybe a turnover or two from him. And K-State's offense does what it does. It's frustrating and, and chugs along and, and doesn't won't light up um, with too many huge chunk plays on Saturday, I don't think. Uh, but I think K-State does enough to get it done and get a huge win on the road in Stillwater. You know, Dealey, you mentioned that spread opening up at nine points. Now down to uh, Oklahoma favored by a touch. Oklahoma State favored by a touchdown. Uh, so six points uh, over under setting at forty six and a half. So pretty low scoring uh, duel is what they're looking for. Uh, at least the folks out in the desert, uh, as far as they are concerned. You know, when I look at this game, I think it comes down to two things: turnovers and special teams play. I think that's really what it comes down to in this game. Which quarterback turns the ball over or has, you know, that doesn't make the crucial mistake in the game? Now, I think with Spencer Sanders, I think Oklahoma State, you know, gives him enough rope to, you know, be to have those really kind of devastating turnovers that that you've seen before. Um, With with K State and how they're going to probably handle this with Will Howard and Jaron Lewis, a little bit more conservative. I hope not too conservative because I think K-State has some plays to be made, it, you know, throwing the ball. Uh, you mentioned Oklahoma State's wide receivers being injured. Uh, Trey Sterling, uh, Oklahoma State's uh, best, probably their best defensive player uh, at the safety position, uh, he's out for the season. So K-State has that ability uh, with Oklahoma State breaking in a new safety, maybe be able to sneak one o- over the top uh, as you saw to Amato Bebe. Uh, against Nevada, maybe Malik Knowles has a big game. Uh, he's been kind of quiet here since uh, since Skylar Thompson went out of lineup. Um, I see K State in, in a very tight game, coming out on top, All right. twenty-one to twenty. Oh, twenty-one to twenty. What what was the score of the Oklahoma State Boise game? 21-20. All right. They find themselves on the other end this this week. Good deal. Is that now, a block extra point or, or field goals? Field goals. Okay. Bimba don't break, baby. That's right. Now, the one thing I will say, too, about this ball game, from this is going to be a really – I mean, I think we saw Will Howard take a step forward last week. I, I really do. But this is going to be a really good test for him. Going on the road against a, as we mentioned, what we think is going to be a top three or four defense in the Big 12 this year with Oklahoma State. Going on it on the road in one of the more difficult places to play in the Big 12 
uh, in a place that K-State has had some struggles in, of course, too, in Stillwater. Be very interesting to see how he uh, performs. I think this will really uh, provide great insight into what uh, what the game plan is for him kind of coming in in terms of what his growth is uh, here as we, we get it going here in, in conference play. That's right. So uh, we're, we're both predicting a Cats win and both predicting – Low-scoring games, but... You uh, went 21-14? <coughs> yes. 21-14 for DLU. 21-20 for me. So, folks, that'll do it here for the Nevada Review and Oklahoma State Preview. Uh, before we uh, sign off for today, no episode of the Short Side Option Podcast would be complete without this week's Wildcat Legend and answering your listener questions in our Ask the Icon segment. That'll be... Coming to you after the break. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. You are listening to DLU and the Icon. And Icon, we're now getting into a segment that we like to call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, this week's Wildcat Legend hails from Andover, Kansas. All right. He's a hog molly. Big ugly. Big ugly. His first year, K-State, 2011. He's the son of Stan and Allison. He has two siblings, Bray and Tyler. He majored in criminology. Man of the law. Yeah. Any bells? Give me, give me, I think I've got it, but give me one more hint so I can make sure. So, I said he was from Andover. He went to Andover Central and played Jaguar. football. Yeah, and played football under coach Tom Audley. I think I, I think I got it, D'Lo. Uh, you're in all league honors on both offense and defense. Oh, a, and defense? He was the league's defensive MVP. The league's oh, yeah, I've got it now. I've got it. It's Boston Stiverson. That's exactly right. It's Boston Stiverson, the pride of Andover. Uh, he was a, he had some ballyhoo coming out of coming out of Andover a little bit. Uh, he was first team All Kansas 5A, as of course noted by KansasVarsity.com. He was named to the Kansas Football Coaches Association All-Kansas 5A team. Named to Prep Stars All-Midland Region team. Earned all-league honors, like I said, on offensive and defense. He recorded 40 tackles. This is an offensive lineman. Uh, who he, played could do it all. he could do it all. 40 tackles. Had one and a half sacks and also an interception. Can you believe it? I can believe it. This I guy. can. I absolutely can. This, this the six, son of Stan. The son of, son of Stan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he, of course, became a Wildcat uh, I remember in his like rivals or twenty four seven photo. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, KU shirt on. Well, I think that picture to be got is probably taken it at KU. Got to be fair. Yeah, you got to be fair. But it always, it, I had to, he had to win me over. But you know what he did? And did he ever? He redshirted in 2011. In 2012, redshirt freshman, he played in nine games, which is kind of rare for a for a Bill well, Snyder team. And that's not on just any team. Too. No. No, that's that's on a darn good uh, that's on a darn good uh, offensive line there. Uh, he actually started against uh, mm. Texas that year. There was one other game he started in, but I don't remember which one. Yeah, we'll just not um, not talk about that other one. He started four uh, games in 2013. Uh, is a redshirt sophomore, but then in 2014, pretty good offense there in 2014. Very good offense. Uh, he started all 13 games at left guard. Um, he was an honorable mention, uh, all-conference. Uh, K-State had 30 rushing touchdowns that year, the 10th most in school history, which is eh, pretty impressive. 
especially when you consider that there's a quarterback throwing a lot of touchdown passes that year, too, and a wide receiver catching a bunch of them. Um, and then in 2015, started nine games at left guard. Again, honorable mention, uh, Big 12 accolades. Uh, led a, well, at 2015 offense, eh. Ran the ball pretty well at times, but um, yeah. offensively a little challenged. We'll say that. He ran for 29 touchdowns that year. Um, but, uh, you know, they had six rushing touchdowns against TCU. They did. That was a game case they should have won. No question about that one. Yeah. But, anyway, uh, yeah, Boston Stuyvesant. and talk about a guy who played a lot, played a lot of football for K-State. He did. And, you know, he, ne- he never quite got to that true all-conference level, but he's just one of those guys that you could depend on. Yep. Kind of that interior line, go up and yeah. bully people and, and just do yeoman's work pretty much game in, game out. K-State's had a lot of success with that guy, with, with those kind of guys. And, you know, with, with uh, Stiverson being in, uh, more of an interior offensive lineman, um, you know, you, you, you love having those guys that get to mature in the program, right? I mean, guy who redshirted, uh, his freshman season, you're able to kind of get uh, accustomed to life in college, uh, accustomed to life playing college football, gaining that that strength and that weight uh, that it takes to be uh, to, takes to be a big time uh, college football player. And you know those guys that you know they might not be ready. He probably wasn't ready quite for action uh, coming in, in into uh, into that 2012 season where where he was pressed into action uh, later in the season, but. You know, having those guys in the program, a guy that, you know, was at K-State for five years, by the time he, he leaves K-State, you, you've, you've cultivated a very consistent, a very good uh, offensive lineman. You know, kind of like what we talked about uh, with uh, Klein Sorge, uh when we highlighted him on, on another edition of Wildcat Legend uh, a few weeks ago. A guy that, that transfers in the program kind of grows with the program, and turns out being a very dependable and a, a very uh, important part of the K-State offense. Yeah, and it's really for all those reasons, that, that kind of Iron Man work that, uh, that he put in that makes Mr. Boston this week's Wildcat legend. And now we're going to go ahead and get into our final segment on the show, a segment that we call Ask the Icon, where listeners of the Short Side Option can ask the Short Side Option's very own Chris the Icon Sork any question they want. Um, they can do that in any variety of ways. They can tweet it at us uh, on our Twitter account, which is at T-S-S-O underscore podcast, or by using the hashtag icon, or by writing, uh, getting a balloon, like a, a water balloon, filling it up with water. And a message. Well, and writing a, oh. a note on the balloon in Sharpie. And chuck it at, chuck it at the icon right when he's going to work in the morning. Yeah, just <laughs> douse him. Douse him, baby. Sometimes I, I forget to shower heading out the door, and this that serves as a great way to uh, get cleaned up a little bit. Yeah, maybe put maybe put a little uh, red drop a, drop a drop a shampoo in. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, our first question this week comes from listener Nashville Nick uh, at in Leland W on Twitter. Nashville Nick asks, "Hey Icon, what's up with the lackluster third quarters? We don't seem to be making many adjustments at halftime, and play calling seems bland." We touched on this a little earlier. We did, but, uh, we, and, and I think that kind of echoes my thoughts. And that's uh, I'm glad it gets brought up again here, just to to kind of put a, um, I guess, put a stamp on it. Is you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a lack of adjustments. I think w- with what you saw against Nevada, you know, they they controlled the ball. They got the ball. Uh, Nevada got the ball at the start of the third quarter. 
they control that ball uh, for pretty much the majority of that quarter. K-State does have does go three and out and then gets that next series uh, after Nevada ties the game and has puts together a nice drive uh, that extends into the fourth quarter. So K-State doesn't get the touchdown in the third quarter, but they, they start that drive uh, you know, at, at the later part of that third quarter. But it is something that uh, is, is a trend uh, here under Chris Kleiman at K-State. Quite frankly, I wish I had a better answer for it. I think right now I'm going to have to chalk it up to coincidence until uh, maybe I get a, a little bit more data in terms of what might be uh, causing some of these K-State issues uh, in the third quarter, but it's something that's on my radar. I, I unfortunately just don't know if I have an answer, uh, a concrete answer for it. Well, and I think one thing that makes it a little strange is, if you think about it, the first drive of all three games so far have been pretty much lights out. I yeah, mean, they have been. So, against Stanford, K-State has that beautiful drive that unfortunately gets cut Intercept, short by yeah. the interception. But they followed they were, up. Yeah. They were averaging like 12 or 13 yards per play in that drive until the interception. And I remember thinking, good grief, this is like the best I've seen K-State's offense look in years, that first drive against Stanford. And then Southern Illinois, of course, uh Pretty smooth first drive there. And then on Saturday, the uh, Emmer to Bay Bay touchdown, the second play of the game. And so I, I, get, I think that maybe the second half woes feel a little bit more stark when you compare them to the first drives of the game. And you think that, well, you know, K-State's scripting out the first X number of plays here that theoretically they should be able to come out strong in the second half too once they have an idea of the what defense seeing, and they yeah. have 20 minutes to figure out what they want the offense to look like. But... Um, no, I'm with you. I think it's, I, I, I much to do about nothing. A little bit, a, a little bit. Uh, next question comes from listener Ryan Moss at Powercat Ryan. He asks, "Dear Icon, is the TSSO posse ever browbeaten a dud as much as they did this week? Did he deserve all the rotten tomatoes thrown his way, or did it go too far?" Well, um, this is a question probably that is more. Uh, would be more apt answered by uh, my companion over here, Dilu. Is this asking Dilu? I think this one might be. I mean, now, granted, I want to say studs and duds. That's your that's your baby. Now, what I will say though is, I have been a long-standing participant in studs and duds in terms of, you know, obviously praising the stud as as he or she deserves. Yeah. Now with the duds, you gotta you gotta be fair. You gotta give them the same treatment and say, hey, you need to do a better job with your AP ballot next week. Yeah. And now this week, I'll let you get in involved with here uh, on some of maybe the particulars. But uh, this week maybe took a little bit of a of a darker turn than maybe some uh, uh, previous ones have. People need to like get what's going on here. That we're we're trying to have constructive criticism and a good way to we're trying to win hearts and minds here and a good way to do that is to show the dud that yeah you you the algo hated your ballot you you submitted a, yeah, an objectively it, it, bad ballot yeah it's in all let you speak to this in, in more detail but with it being a proprietary algorithm i don't know how much detail you want to go into yeah but it's it's nothing that it, it's no subjective thing that's going on i don't choose the dud no it's the algorithm spits it out. I, I shove the data into the machine yeah. and it tells you who the dud is. But but people need to remember when they're when they're it, give the dud a hard time, but make it like funny. Don't call him like a fat idiot who's gonna die of COVID or something like that. That's 
just really mean. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't want that. that. It's not that. funny. It's just mean. It's not clever. Just we mean. don't want that. No, be clever. There's no room for that. It, just, yeah, tell him he's a dud and that he needs to go back to ranking school or whatever. But um, no, don't don't be a jerk. Otherwise, it's not fun and it's like just awkward and <laughs> it makes me not want to. Makes me just want to do studs. It and and you know that's. That that's I'm I'm glad that you're having if the, the dud, opportunity to address this. If the dud thinks you're actually like in real life mad at him and and thinks that like, well, like if, the dud, if the dud's taking it seriously, then you you've sent a bad dud tweet. Well, I, I'm beginning to think that maybe some people were fair enough. So <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Like, and maybe it's just too it's outgrown me. But man, like guys, it's college football. It's it's fun. Um, it's fun to give people a hard time, but unless they know that we're kind of kidding around too, it, it's not fun anymore. So, uh, people mostly do a, a good job and it, it's mostly really funny, but last week it got kind of weird. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks for that question, Ryan. Let's, uh, let's all pledge to, uh, do a good job with studs and duds in the future and not, uh, embarrass, um, you know, our fan base. Let's, let's remember that, that, um, you know. We're, we're going to keep rolling to purple. Uh, next question comes from listener Easy Stevesy at SL Keck on Twitter. He asks, do you think Deuce would be compared to Sproles if Sproles hadn't played at K-State? Like, would he be compared to Barry if he played at Oklahoma State? You know, I think that he would be. Um, you know, it's interesting. I Over the summer, I had the opportunity. It's a great question. Yeah, it is. It's a really good question. And... You know, Steve, he always asks very smart questions. Not as smart as uh, what we Philosopher's can, Corner. Which we'll, we'll, we'll get in there later. I No. Oh, Philosopher's Quiet. Oh. <laughs> just, I, I can just con- contemplative silence this week. From... <laughs> hey, sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's just not there. He needs to, you know. He He's still writing his question for next yes. week. Hey, it could be a big one next week. A dissertation. But, but uh, let's go ahead and, and get to Steve's question there, and it, it's a good one. Um, I, you know, I had the opportunity uh, over the summer to rewatch a little bit of the 2019 Alabama-LSU game. And that's that Alabama-LSU game that's traditionally every year the game of the year, the game of the century. Uh, and this one may have really actually lived up to the hype of being a, a great game, two great offenses, in LSU, uh, of course, uh, you know the most prolific offense in college football history, I believe, uh, in terms of what they put up that season. And Gary Danielson, longtime Big 12 commentator uh, for ABC on, on a lot of their games, he was comparing Clyde Edwards-Alaire to Darren Sproles. Uh, you know, several times during that game, saying this guy is Darren Sproles. And you know, I think with with Deuce Vaughn, him being a, a shorter running back. And, you know, the shiftiness that you see, having played at K-State, very easy comparison to make to Darren Sproles. Now, I hated that comparison early on because I was like, man, this, that is a very lofty comparison for a guy who's playing, you know, his first couple college games here. And now through what is roughly a full season now, a full 12 games here, yeah, man, he's really that good. And <laughs> at, he, at first you think it's like, Somebody like you watch Alex Delton play a game and you're like, oh my god, is Michael Bishop's back? Yeah, exactly. And you, he's fast. He's Michael Bishop. You you want to um, you want to be careful, I think, when when you're making those 
comparisons just to, for your own sake. Like you're saying, this guy's going to be you know an all-conference running back for three years here or whatever the case might be. But with Deuce Vaughn, he's absolutely lived up yeah. to that comparison. Yeah. And you know, with with if he was at Oklahoma State, and if he was wearing orange and black, you'd probably hear those comparisons to Barry Sanders. And you know what? That's a little bit different of a level because you're talking about one of the all-time great college players of all time with Barry Sanders. Not to take anything away from Darren Sproles, of course, but Barry Sanders is is an all-time legend. Uh, but I think you'd hear those same remarks because Deuce Vaughn's that special player. Yeah, I, I we said it last year. I can't remember the last time a K-State had a player where he comes on the field as a true freshman and you instantly see that, oh, this is clearly like the best player we've had in a long time. Um, and so, Well, no. the funny thing, too, is in that game against Arkansas State, which was really you know, the first game of the season, national television audience, his first game at K-State, and that, that was an area that we didn't really know what to really expect at the running back position because you had, in 2019, you had a, kind of a hodgepodge group of guys that were kind of pulled together uh, through transfers, uh, Harry Trotter, uh, James Gilbert, Jordan Brown, that you know had kind of filled that running back room out of necessity with just a, a number of bodies. You didn't really quite know what was going to happen after Gilbert and Brown had left. You didn't really quite know what K-State was going to have uh, at the running back position. Well, they certainly uh, found, K-State fans found out very early in that game and very early in that season that not only do they know who that running back's going to be, but it's going to be a very special player for years to come. Who do you think was the last... When do you think was the last time that K-State had a first-year player that made that kind of instant head-turning impact that uh, that Deuce had just so immediately? I mean, you almost first go back year, to, like, uh, Michael Bishop or somebody. You almost have to. I would say maybe, like... Maybe, like, L... Roberson, where maybe where like he had a, that spring game, yeah, that maybe like a knew. James Terry, and I'm thinking of guys that you know got transferred in. I mean, James Terry hit the ground running, or not James Terry. Uh, uh, well, James Terry did hit the ground running, but I was really more thinking of Quincy Morgan. Yeah, I mean, that's a guy that was yeah. immediately the go-to guy on, on a very good K-State team. Um, you know, at the running back position, you just don't see that very. You never saw it really under Bill Snyder. No, um, yeah, and, Darren Sproles got some time as a freshman, but. You know, I, Barnes got some time as a freshman. Yeah, too, Bar- and Alex Barnes is probably a is probably the most recent example of that. Now he was, I believe, he was a redshirt freshman, if memory serves me correct. Right, but, yeah. but a first year guy um, getting involved, and in, you know, the last four or five games of that 2016 season, he really jumped off right. at, at, at saying, "This is the next guy in the line of of really good K State running backs." Daniel Thomas is probably another guy that comes. That that's probably that's probably, that's probably the answer. Yeah. I mean, that's that was the guy that was the entire he, offense in 2019 <laughs> yeah, exactly. or in 2019 in, in 2009 and 2010. Daniel Thomas is the answer to that question in terms of the guy that, that right. makes a, an immediate impact. But there have been those guys, whether if it's been at the wide receiver position, the quarterback position, uh, with with Michael Bishop, obviously an all time great at K State. But in terms of a fresh, a true freshman, a true freshman, never. And also too, not only a true freshman, but a true freshman coming in in a COVID year where you don't have spring ball. Yep, you're having, you know, an abbreviated fall camp uh, to say the least. What he did is as a true freshman is one of the most impressive things I've seen here in a long time at K State, and uh, there's no uh, no doubt that uh, a sophomore slump uh, so far has been uh, something that is not really a concern. Uh, kind of sticking with uh, the subject of um, K State's history here. 
Uh, Steve Z asks a second question. A second question from him at SL Keck. He says, this is the best defensive line unit since when? And he asks the same question about the defensive backs. You know, defensive backs, I would probably point to that 2017 team. So that's Duke Shelley. That's DJ Reed. I thought those were two really good cornerbacks uh, that K-State had. Um, you know, in 2017, you know, those guys I thought really played well. But I think with this defense, you, you have a little bit – I mean, because Echo Boydo, Boydo is a guy that we've highlighted as, as a guy that's – quite frankly, opposing teams don't really challenge. Right. And uh, Julius Brintz uh, came in with a lot of ballyhoo. He's been okay. I don't know if he's maybe lived up to some of that hype yet. But – Defensive backs are a very good rush yeast, I think, has been maybe one of the more unsung heroes so far of this 2021 defense. Uh, he's played a very good free safety, plays very instinctively, always in the right place, uh, playing a good center field there uh, for K-State in this new 3-3-5 look. You know, I would say that maybe since 2017, the best defense, uh, defensive backfield anyway, and then to address his first part of that question with the defensive line, I have to probably go back to 2012, that, that Big 12 title winning K-State team. You had guys like Adam Davis, uh, Meshack Williams, uh, Viola Tui clogging some things up up front. Uh, you know, a really solid defensive line. With what you're seeing right now, obviously one thing I wanted to mention too, and this is a big loss for K-State, uh, Khalid Duke going to be out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. Uh, that's going to be something that K-State fans are going to want to keep an eye on. But, you know, what we've seen, though, is since uh, with K-State, and maybe more so under Chris Kleiman and under Joe Klanderman in this defense, you do see K-State rotating more guys in on that defensive line. You've seen Nate Matlack, uh, a, a freshman um, out of Olathe, uh, coming in and providing uh, some, good, some good moments. We mentioned uh, him running down uh, Carson Strong on that fourth down where K-State was able to stop Nevada short of the sticks there. He's going to be pressed into a larger role, but we even have guys that are a little bit more ex experienced, like Boone Massey, who's played a lot of football for K-State. He'll be uh, having an, having a bigger role. We have guys that can fit, fill in here. I mean, obviously, Khalid Duke is a big loss, but in terms of what this defensive line looks like, uh, I'm very pleased with it. Felix Anaduke Uzama been tremendous so far this season. And he's a guy that, you know, was a late addition to that first full uh, Chris Kleiman recruiting class. And he looks maybe to be the best one of the bunch here um, as we get going here in 2021. That's right. Well, a couple great questions there from Steezy, as, as we can always expect. Uh, and finally, our last question this week comes from David Sabin at Sabin Nation on Twitter. Uh, he, he's responding to Nashville Nick's question about the lackluster third quarters, and he says... Uh, as it relates to third quarters, Icon, I'd also like to hear your take on the fiasco that was our student section after halftime on Saturday. To be fair, and you got to be fair, uh, college kids have studies to attend to, one would think. You know, student-athlete still rings true here at K-State, and uh, students that are not athletes, they're there to you know focus on studying. Of course. It seems like they're more interested in focusing on drinking parties. Drinking drinking beer and not maybe so much the walking sports thing. Yeah, drinking and drinking parties and cussing parties and whatever they all, yeah, whatever else they do. Yeah, you know, I've gone to a few of those in my day. I have <laughs> yeah. to I have to be gotta be fair. Yeah. You know, gotta be fair. But uh, you know, it, it brings up an, an interesting point. There's been a um, 
a lot of um, talk about the reentry policy, if that's something that K-State wants to do. And, and this is not a problem specific to K-State. Just this week, uh, Mike Gundy was advocating yeah. that uh, maybe uh, Oklahoma State should slash beer prices in half so that uh, more people stay in, in uh, inside Boone Pickens Stadium throughout the entire game. You know, I think what you've got to do now is, in, you know, I don't want to date myself in terms of how old I am and how old you are, D. Lou, but it seemed to me, and maybe I'm thinking maybe too fondly on on how avid uh, the student section was when I was at K-State, but I don't seem to remember it being as much of an issue, you know, in the past, you know, gosh, I graduated from K-State in 2015. I don't remember it being as bad, um, you know, 2012, 2011, 2013. Now, granted, those teams were pretty darn good. Right. And I think that's really what this issue comes down to is is teams that are, are really good, they'll stay for. Uh, but it, it, it's something that I hate to see because, you know, with, with, with that third quarter, you know, you look at the stands and not only is it just the student section, but other parts of the stadium are a little bit slow filling, filling up after halftime. So... It's not only a problem at K State; it's a problem around the country. Uh, I think maybe it's just because maybe guys don't, or guys and gals don't care as much about watching the game, and they care more about uh, the festivities out in the, out in the tailgate lots. But I don't really know if there's an easy answer to it. I think the I think there is. I think there's an easy. Answer. I think the easiest answer is just not having reentry and and you know selling beer inside the stadium and and attacking it that way. Yeah, I think that's an obvious solution. I, I don't. I don't know why that wouldn't make sense other than people like to go, people like to tailgate and maybe there's pushback on the AD to let them go do that. But man, in terms of keeping butts in seats, yeah, just lock them in or at least lock them out once they go out mm-hmm. and sell beer in the stadium and K-State makes more you money. You know what would, be, what would be a really baller move is if you bought two tickets. So you could go out anyway and then just get another one to go. That back would in. be a, that would that would, be a that would let you know like yeah. hey I take my tailgating very seriously. Yeah, like and you tickets. just have one like total nosebleed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that, that's a pretty darn good idea. Hey, way to boost ticket sales. Also, though, I'm yeah. I'm coming up. You know with what else? All you know what else solutions. would help if halftime wasn't an hour long? I think it's only twenty minutes. Oh, make it fifteen. It's too long. Like it, it, make it call, longer. College football games are. No, make it shorter. College football games are too long. Let's cut it by five minutes at least. The, get the band in, get the band out, and make it so... No, you can't go grill a hot dog and slam two natties out in the parking lot. No, sorry, you don't have time. Because you know what? Arrowhead doesn't have this problem. Yeah, they don't. So you know, they, they don't allow re-entry, do they? Of course not. Yeah, I didn't think But it, nobody would do it anyway because yeah, by the time you get to your car, it's... It's like an half start. Right. Um, and so Mahomes is turning the ball over again. So anyway, I think that's a broader college football NCAA thing at that level about the lengths of half. Did you like that shot there? I took at the Chiefs. I didn't even oh, okay. acknowledge it. I didn't know if you did or not. Um, but no, they they should shorten halftime because the games are too long and halftime is too long. And I want I want to watch football faster. I I don't need twenty minutes. Nobody needs twenty minutes. And the, the one of the main reasons people go out during halftime is because halftime's boring. And there's nothing to do besides like sit and listen to a Stevie Wonder medley that the marching band's playing. So let's shorten that and make it so people aren't bored during halftime and let them go get beer at a concession stand and then if they want to leave, don't let them back in. So 
Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> Case closed. It's it's it it but because it is absurd. There there's no reason the stadium should be forty percent full. Yeah, with ten and, minutes left in the third. And quarter. I pray. And I think that this will be the case for next week against Oklahoma. I mean, in case they could quite possibly be undefeated and playing a huge game against uh, a yeah. top five Oklahoma team for you know maybe the Pretty final time. Important game. I mean, yeah. who, who knows what it, what it, that might look like? But stay in, stay in. The and it's not just the students. No, it's not. And that's I think that's the biggest, maybe the most glaring aspect because. With the student section, that's where you know you get a lot of the noise from, and, and that's a, a pretty prominent part of of the K State fan base in terms of what shows sure. up on TV and yeah. all that stuff. But yeah, I stay stay in the game at halftime, or if you're going out and you're bound and determined to to have a couple beers, set a timer on your phone. Say I've got 20 minutes, but I'm gonna set this timer for 10 minutes. And so I'm going to be able to get I'm back go in. out, stuff a key in this beer, shove it down my throat. Yeah, and then just get do back it one in. more time with another beer, and then I'm getting my butt back to the seat. There you go. You can get be, that be BAC. Be, up, more, be more efficient. Be more efficient. Or sneak him into the game. Can't be that hard. Speaking from experience, maybe, maybe. But um, I don't want to encourage. But no, in terms of good grief, it's not a hard problem to solve. Don't let them out and let them come back in. Sell beer in the stadium. Make money. Sell cheap beer. I don't care. Don't take... Sell it at cost. Just keep them in the stadium. You're not making money off it now. Um, but no, I think it's a, a great point that uh, Saban Nation brings up. And uh, one that I think uh, K-State would be wise to figure out. But Icon, that's all our questions this week. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts for our, for our listeners as we exit uh, this week's edition you of know, the Short Side Option Podcast? You know, I think we really covered it all in this one. I think this is a huge game for K-State. I think K-State, you know, here we look at what uh, is going on in the Big 12 this week. You know, with K- KU and Baylor hooking up last week uh, in the first conference game of the season, uh, Baylor uh, rolled over the Jayhawks uh, by the score of 45-7. to this week, uh, conference play really gets started in earnest uh, throughout most of the Big 12. Uh, K-State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and uh, Texas, Iowa State, and Baylor, and then West Virginia and Oklahoma. KU going out of conference uh, to take on Duke, and uh, TCU welcoming, welcoming in uh, Southern Methodists uh, for their annual rivalry game uh, down in Fort Worth. But an exciting Big 12 slate here as we, we get started uh, here in conference football play, the other I think K State Oklahoma State is is clearly the most intriguing game in the Big Twelve this week. But one game that I will keep my eye out on is Iowa State Baylor. Iowa State hasn't really looked impressive. They did get a little bit uh, a little bit healthier, so to speak, uh, rolling over a really really bad UNLV team uh, down in Vegas. Uh, they go on the road uh, to take on Baylor in a game that I'm going to be keeping my eye on. I know you will be as well. Uh, Baylor, a seven-point underdog uh, at home as they welcome in Iowa State. Going to be interesting to see in that one. I mean, Iowa State, like I said, they got a little bit healthy uh, going up and beating up against uh, an overmatched UNLV team. But an Iowa State team that hasn't really looked very good so far in, in their two games against one Northern Iowa and then Iowa – be interested to see how that one shakes out. Yeah, two teams that are still kind of a mystery. And uh, Baylor looks like they're overperforming expectations, certainly. And uh, Iowa State, 
Uh, yeah, this will be Baylor's first big test. Yeah. Um, so be interested to keep an eye on that one. Texas Tech, maybe another team that sure. that is uh, maybe surpassed expectations so far through the season. Uh, they go to the 40 Acres to take on Texas. That'll be one to keep an eye on. That's an 11 o'clock kickoff. But excited to see uh, Big 12 play uh, kind of start getting, getting fired up here. Absolutely. This is... Uh... We're starting to get into the meat of the schedule, and yeah. uh, not just K-State's schedule, but the entire uh, college football schedule. So, uh, some interesting games, and hopefully we uh, learn some more about some teams yeah. this week. Yeah, and you know, with, with it, in respect to the K-State-Oklahoma State game, uh, you have two teams that I think both have those expectations to be, uh, you know, being in the mix here in the month of November for a spot in Arlington, and a win on Saturday would go a long way for both those teams uh, in their uh, pursuit of uh, becoming a, a Big 12 champion this year. That's right. So, lot to look forward to, lot to talk about. We'll be back next week to review the Oklahoma State game and preview K-State's showdown with Oklahoma next Saturday. Folks, that's going to be a 2.30 kickoff on Oklahoma. It was just announced earlier this week. Uh, that that will be a 2.30 Fox kickoff uh, on Saturday. So, folks, that will do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening, and go Cats!